Hey, what's up, guys? It's Nick Fancher. Welcome to another episode of the Viewfinders Podcast. This episode's going to be a little bit different than the ones I've done up until now. Um, as you know, if you've been listening for any amount of time, the format has been an interview format um, where I interview a photographer. We chat about different things about you know their history, their their journey as a photographer, but also you know I'm offering my thoughts and. Um, while I really enjoy that format and everyone seems to be enjoying it, um, I find that scheduling photographers that are, you know, the photographers that I'm, I'm really interested in hearing their stories, a lot of these are really busy photographers. And so we'll schedule something and it'll get moved and then we'll schedule it again and it'll get moved again. And so I thought it would be um, good to change up the format a little bit. I'll still do interviews as they come along and as I can get them scheduled. I also want to make the space more of a kind of a diary where I can talk about things I've been working through mentally, artistically, from a business perspective, talking about a shoot that that was really interesting or hard. I'd love it if you guys even emailed me things you'd like to hear about. We'll call this season two. So to kick off this new season, I wanted to talk about a shoot that I did about a month and a half ago. If you read my blog, I wrote a pretty detailed post about this shoot this past week. So if you read that post, you're already going to be pretty familiar with this story. So I'm going to back this story up to April of this year. So I was uh, driving back from Atlanta and I got a call from my buddy Brandon. And there's a few people that, when, you know, when when I see them calling me, I know that I need to pick up because I know they're not a person that just calls, you know. So he calls and asks me if I'd be interested in working on creating artwork for the new Korn album. And I was really excited because I Korn was a band that I listened to a lot uh, in high school. Uh, their first two albums got me through a lot of pain in my teenage years. There were some abuses in my in my adolescence. And I didn't fully understand, you know, where my anger and where my pain was coming from. But I knew that Korn was touching on things in their lyrics that was giving me kind of a sense of a kindred spirit or these people understand me or I'm not alone. And uh, and that helped me through some pretty dark times. And so even though I haven't really listened to him much since the 90s, I still go back to those first two records pretty regularly. And so... When he asked me about working on their new record, I was I was really excited. So we, we were talking through the concepts. He was explaining to me the concept. It would be the shell of a person, just like the ropes hanging there, and, and it would be uh, someone suspended from the air, or possibly a bird, like a dove or something, uh, wrapped in wrapped in these coils so that it's something innocent that's being kind of destroyed or, or crushed or whatever, and this is, this is what's left. Their new album is called The Nothing, and so that's kind of what the, the lyrics and the songs are dealing with. The singer Jonathan Davis lost his wife to a drug overdose last year, so there's just a lot of pain on the album. So that that was his concept going into the record. So he was he was just kind of picking my brain, like how do you how do you imagine capturing this? And we talked about a few different ideas, and then I was like, well, what if we get if you decide to do a person instead of a bird? What if we did kind of an aerial artist, like those people that are suspended from the air and they can do like flips and turns in the air? And I was like, what if we get someone like that? Then we could just have them in a harness 
wrap them in cords and everything and shoot them a bunch of different ways. And then we could cut them out of the cord uh, in Photoshop, you know, and it wasn't going to be that easy. It was going to be pretty tricky, not only to, to, uh, rig up the suspension in my studio or figure out how to create a nice seamless in the gym where we're going to shoot it. But then also cutting out the figure out of all the ropes uh, and cords was going to be no easy task. So we kicked around that idea for a while and he was like, okay, well, basically we're going to have, um, I'm having a 3D artist render up a photo, render up an image of this, of this nothing man. And if he can do a good enough render, we're going to use that for the cover. And uh, so he ended up getting a good enough rendering from that, which was helpful because then they could animate it. They could have the figure spin around and move and shake, and they didn't have to cut out the figure for each shot. So that was that was a good solution. But he ended up having me shoot a bunch of images of black wires in a bunch of different arrangements to use for supplementary images on the album. So even though I didn't get to shoot the band, even though I didn't get to, sh didn't get to shoot the cover, I was still able to shoot album art for this band that I really that meant a lot to me. So it was still a, a really cool gig. So fast forward a few months and I'm on a shoot. It's a, I think it's like a Monday or a Tuesday. And I get a text from my buddy, Jimmy, who's the creative director at Revolver Magazine. It's a, a heavy metal hard rock magazine. And he was like, hey, want to shoot corn on Thursday in LA? And I was like, this Thursday, as in three days from now? And I was like, of course I do, but I don't know if I can organize a shoot with that short of notice. And he was like, oh, it's okay, it's no problem. They're actually, they're gonna be already at this one studio. They're, they're releasing uh, their new album. So they're having this album release party. So you're just gonna shoot before, before that set. And uh, so we know they're already gonna be there, that we already have the space secured, so you just have to show up and shoot them. On, on my flight, the five hour flight from Columbus to LA, I had uh, you know, plenty of time to plan out several ideas for the shoot. Um, I came up with all these different concepts and I pitched the ideas to Jimmy. He was like, these all sound good, I trust you. Um, the only thing I'll say is just think about if there's a way you can incorporate or reference the first album cover because this is the 25th anniversary of that album. And so, you know, my first thought was like, well, is there a playground near the studio? We could take them because the cover of the first album shows a little girl sitting on a swing at a play at a playground with this ominous shadow in the foreground, uh, this presence of danger. I was like, well, should we literally try to do that? But then it's it's about 100 degrees in L.A. at the time. I was like, even if we found a playground, I don't really want them sweating and squinting in the sun. After thinking about it for a minute, I was like, well, what if we just have him sitting on the ground uh, like a white seamless, and uh, then, then the other band members are outside of the frame, and they're casting the shadows, the scary shadows. So it's, it's a reference to that cover. It incorporates the whole band. Jonathan is made uh, small like the little girl um, by him sitting on the floor. And, uh, and I think that's a, also a good metaphor, given what he's going through right now, the vulnerability he's experiencing right now. I think it makes sense on multiple levels. I'm feeling really good about the concepts. I'm feeling like excited that the shoot is, has been confirmed. And, uh, and logistically, you know, we already have the studio. I had asked ahead of time, will they be able to provide C-stands? Will there be a white psych wall? Will they have... Uh, LEDs or be able to provide LEDs or some sort of continuous light source. All of those, he said, yes, no problem. We'll have that. So I travel with, I travel very light. I have my camera and two lenses, a wide and a, uh, so it's a 16 to 35 and then an 85, one, two are the two lenses I have. And then I have two Godox AD 200s, which are 200 watt seconds, uh, flashes. 
and that's all I travel with, um, aside from like memory cards and extra batteries and gels. I travel very light. That way I don't have to check a bag. That way nothing gets lost. I know the gear arrives. But because I was traveling so light, you know, I knew these other things needed to be there. They needed to have what I what I needed there. The shoot ended up getting pushed to Friday. Thursday is now a wide open day for me. So I end up doing a shoot with a friend in the morning. And uh, then I have all afternoon free where I'm just waiting for the call sheet. And so I'm just hanging out at a cafe for like five hours waiting, you know, just editing, answering emails, just sitting there. And then around five or 6 p.m., I get a text from Jimmy and he's like, hey, by the way, here's the call sheet. The studios, this is the studio address. Here's a shot of the space. It's actually, there's no psych. It's just an empty room, like a warehouse space. They don't have a backdrop. They don't have C-stands. They don't have LEDs. Um, none of that. You're going to have to get that stuff. So this is the moment I have a mini panic attack. I'm sitting there at this cafe. I have no car. You know, I'm only traveling around by Lyft. It's 6 p.m., so all the rental houses are closing. Even if I had a rental house that was open... I couldn't get all these all this gear and fit it into a lift. So I, I was like, Jimmy, I don't know what to do here. And he said, don't worry, I'll handle it. I'll have him deliver it tomorrow. Just tell me what you need. So I'm like, okay, great. I need, you know, four C stands. I need a backdrop stand. I need a 12 foot uh, roll of white seamless. I need two LEDs, the brightest you have. And then I need them here at noon. The, the, the call time is at 1.30 and I wanted to make sure I had enough time to get everything set up. And that brings up another point. I had been trying to find an assistant to help me out on the shoot, just to have an extra set of hands. Often I work alone, but um, I wanted to make sure to have an extra set of hands in case something went wrong. But the problem was the shoot was so last minute that everyone I reached out to was booked up, like four or five different people. And the shoot, you know, the shoot got moved and the time, the call sheet didn't come in till, till last minute. So I just kind of resigned to the fact that I'm going to work solo on this gig. The next morning, you know, I didn't really sleep well that night. Um, just kind of half awake all night, just thinking about the shoot and like hoping everything's going to go well and like trying to run every possible failing scenario through my head ahead of time to prepare myself. And uh, so the next morning I get up and I go right to where the studio is, but just like there's like a Starbucks five, a five minute walk away. So that's where I go because I want to make sure that, you know, I don't hit traffic or whatever. It's I'm the same with the airports and flights. Like I want to find my gate first before I get food, just so I know where it is and I know how much time I have. You know, I'm sitting there at the Starbucks just around the corner. Once it's noon, I just head on over the first you know i find this this giant this giant warehouse studio and there's a couple 18 wheelers unloading and i walk up assuming it's corn and it's the eagles the eagles are unloading all this stuff that looks like they're setting up for a big video shoot and it didn't look like corn's people i was like is this you know is this corn is this the corn shoot and they had no idea what i was talking about they looked like they're about to call security so uh i just wandered over to the other side you know there's another equally large studio on the other side of the building then i see a bunch of people with tattoos and long hair and it's like okay this is the corn shoot so let me set a scene for you here it's this is kind of this back alley studio and the 14-foot doors are all wide open, and there's scissor lifts going in and out. There's probably about 20 different people hanging up black cords everywhere. There's trash all spread out over the floor. In the center of the room, there's a big stage that they're setting up with drums and guitars, and there's a a wall barricaded around it and they're hanging lights and it's just chaos in there and since the doors are open it's um, and it's about 100 degrees outside it's probably around 90 inside the studio so my first thought was who's in charge who can I talk to 
where am I allowed to set up? Um, right then I see the guy uh, with the rental truck who has all the gear. So I, I help him unload all the gear and carry it in. And then I see as I'm carrying the stuff in, there's, we're a little short on gear here. There's no, there's no backdrop stand. There's the C stands, there's the roll of, of, of seamless and the LEDs, but that's it. And I asked him about it and he said, there was none on the order. There was no backdrop stand on the order. Do you want me to go back and get it? And at that point, it would have taken an hour to drive there and an hour to drive back, which would have run into the shoot time. So I said, no, we don't have time for that. Um, I'll just figure something out. So he's just like, wishes me good luck and takes off. At this point, I decide just I'm going to pick the corner where I'm setting up. You know, I'm just going to pick a spot that looks like it'll be out of the way relatively. And so I start setting up. I decide to use my two of the uh, four C-stands to hang up the roll of, of paper. The only downside with that is the C-stands maxed out at around 10 feet. So having a 10 by 12 space to shoot five grown men really limits me. That means that I can't really have them that far off the backdrop. They're going to have to be jammed right back against the paper. They're going to have to be standing really close together. Absolutely not an ideal situation, but I, I would just have to make something work. The, the next issue I was running into was I was planning on doing um, individuals of each member and a group shot, all which uh, used uh, slow shutter speed. And uh, if you know anything about that, you know that you need to have a you need to be shooting in low light to really get a good long exposure out of that because the brighter the room you're in, you're going to be competing with that. And they had all the house lights all the way up, and my sweep was set up right under a bright light. It's about 15 feet above my sweep. And so I asked someone, you know, can we cut this? We'll be able to cut the house lights for 15 minutes when the band's out here. And he really quickly snap back we're not doing anything we're not cutting the lights for you like we don't have any time we're busting our ass to get set up before doors open we'll be shocked that we'll make it on time as it is we have no time for breaks we have no time to turn off the lights nothing and so you know it was made clear to me in that moment that i am the least important person there the the album release show takes absolute priority and this magazine shoot is really kind of an add-on so i just Again, try to figure out, okay, how can I make this work? Do I need to totally scrap this idea or can I pull this off? So I set up my lights. I have uh, the two LEDs on my two remaining C stands and my two strobes, the Godox, I decide just to put on the ground, prop them up with sandbags so they're aiming into the backdrop about halfway up. That I think will work. You know, once I had that set up, I was ready to start testing light. The problem was I didn't have an assistant to test light on. So I'm holding out my hand, about to take a shot of my hand. And thankfully, the guitar tech for Korn sees what I'm doing, understands what I'm doing, comes over and says, hey, do you need me to stand in for you? And I'm forever indebted to this man. And I said, yes, thank you. So he stands there for 15 minutes patiently as I pre-light that scenario. I realized that, okay, if I get the LEDs close enough to my subject, it puts about three stops difference between the room lights and the leds so i can get a pretty dark background and still knock out the background with the strobe which i've gelled red the only thing is um, because i'm so closed down on my settings with the room lights being that high i think i was at like f16 iso 100 so that i could get around a fifth of a second and still be three stops underexposed my strobes were pretty maxed out they were at like half or full power and I didn't want to risk overheating my flashes because if I'm taking pretty rapid fire shots on my subject, 
those flashes will overheat and then you're screwed because they won't fire and you have to wait for them to cool down. And that to me would just be the death blow. So I had to really walk a balance and try to keep it more around a quarter of a power. And it was just a balancing act, trying to get all of those elements in place. So I pre-lit that scenario and I pre-lit two or three other lighting setups. And by then it was 1.30, which is the, the scheduled call time. And I hadn't seen corn show up yet. I saw, I scratched that, I saw the drummer had walked through the room about five or 10 minutes prior, but no one else. So I know they still have to do rehearsal before doors open. And if they show up too late, I'm not gonna have any time to shoot with them. You know, originally I was supposed to have an hour and a half with the band. Now it had been cut down to an hour, but I was running through my head like, what if I only have 30 minutes with them? What if I only have 15 minutes with them? What can I do within that? How do I need to change up my plan to adjust for that, to account for that? What if four of the five members only show up? So right then someone from the label walks out. They're kind of wondering what my plan was for the shoot. So I show them some of the images that I just pre-lit, some images on my phone, told, told them my ideas for the shoot. They liked them, but they kind of warned me, don't make Jonathan the focus. We want to make sure the band is showcased equally. So obviously, like several of my concepts were exactly what they said not to do. So I was like, well, okay, I'll make sure to get some quote unquote safe shots, and then I'll get some of the more conceptual shots. So meanwhile, as I'm setting up all this stuff, there's sound checking. They started sound checking. So you got someone beating on the drums, you got someone going, into the microphone, just loud, extremely loud sounds, repetitive sounds going, which, you know, each time I'm like kind of flinching because it's still hot in there. I'm still scrambling to get set up. And there's just this loud kind of chaos happening. I'm just making myself take deep breaths, reminding myself it's okay. Stay calm. You know what you're doing. You'll be fine. You can pull this off. It's okay. So once I got the images all pre-lit, I was ready to go. Now I'm just waiting on, on the band. So I go back and check to see if anyone's ready to shoot. And I see that the drummer's getting his uh, wardrobe and hair kind of finalized. So I go back out. A few minutes later, he comes out and he's like, all right, I'm ready. So I show him some images on my phone and on my camera. I'm like, here's where I'm thinking. This is what we're going to do individuals. And then once I do individuals of each, each person, we're going to do a group shot. And then we'll, we'll move on from there. So it's like, okay, cool. So he steps out and I get started. Um, if you're not familiar with the way I, I use the slow shutter speed technique, I'm jerking the camera back and forth or up and down as, a, as the exp, uh, image exposes. So having that uh, fifth of a second exposure time allows me to, depending on how I move the camera, it kind of pulls the ambient light into a streak and the, the direction my hands move determines the light direction, the streak direction. And so I'm jerking the camera around with each shot and he's looking at me like, what the hell are you doing? And uh, so I shoot, you know, for about 30 seconds. And then I, you know, flip through a few to make sure the, the image is looking good. So I take a few more shots and uh, I'm like, okay, thanks. And just kind of hang out. And the next person walks out and it's fieldy. And he's just kind of like, whatever, let's do this. So I shoot a few frames and show him a few of the images. And I'm like, okay, well, let's do bigger movements. I want to see bigger poses. I want you to really get into it. And so I shoot a few more frames and show him and he's, and he's starting to get more into it. And then I shoot a few more frames and I'm like, next. So by then Monkey comes out and he saw what field he was doing and he just came into it ready. He got it. He had all this energy and he just starts like throwing his head back, 
giving me these big movements, these amazing expressions. And, and now I'm starting to really feel relieved. You know, I'm like, okay, these are looking amazing. I'm super stoked on these images. Head walks out right then, same thing, shoot the images, he's cool. And then Jonathan, the singer, finally walks out and he was really quiet. And I started to explain, he said, it's fine, let's just do it. I could tell he just wanted to get the shoot kind of out of the way. I immediately felt all of this pressure, like this guy is like suffering, so going through so much stuff. And now I have to like give him this direction. Now I have to like tell him, look this way, do that way. That's not good enough. Give me more of this, more of that. I was intimidated. I didn't want to push it. Like, am I going to piss this guy off? So I just internalized all that. And I was like, okay, well, treated him like all the other ones. Like, well, turn, do this, do that. And just shot a bunch of frames with him. And uh, I was like, okay, so let's do the group shot now. So I moved everyone in, squeezed everyone as close together as I could. Um, because the image was more uh, more or less a backlit image with the strobe on the background, and then we're just getting some hazy side light from the uh, from the LEDs. I couldn't really stack them over each other. They had to be side by side, just so that was light was coming between them. And I didn't have much backdrop space, so that was a that was a tough shot. You know, I had to crop the shot at their knees um, because because of the space constraints. I ended up loving the shot, and they end up running. Uh, the end of, image ended up running double page inside, double truck, uh, which was awesome. But it would have been really cool to have some full, some vertical options on that one. After we got that scenario done, that was the one I was really worried about. I, I went through three other scenarios, lighting two of the scenarios with cyan and red light a couple different ways. And then one where it was just like yellow gelled lights, just kind of, I guess what you'd call more safer shots, group shots, where it's just like they look cool and they're just standing there looking intimidating and the lighting is cool and colorful. Um, but to me, those are kind of safer shots. So as we were doing these different group shots, the members of Corn had their friends and family just kind of hanging around the set. And, you know, they're all like making jokes and talking and everything as I'm getting the lights set up. But it's still kind of loud in there. And by this point, I had been fighting a virus and my voice was nearly gone. And so I would normally have my assistant kind of get their attention or I would yell out or something. But all I, it was all I could do to just wave to get their attention and point down at my lens and hope that they were all looking because I couldn't shout out to them. So I just started snapping frames, shot a bunch vertically, shot a bunch horizontally, moved in, moved out, just shot the hell out of it because I didn't have time to preview and make sure that they all the shots were working. The final shot was the shadow shot, the recreation of the of the of their, their first album cover. The other one that was the quote unquote unsafe shot because I have to sell this idea for four of the five members are not in the shot. They're, they're only their shadows are in the shot. It was literally what the agent said not to do. And uh, so I tell them the idea and they loved it. They were all about it. And so I put Jonathan on the floor. He sat, he sat down on the floor and I had the band all lined up right next to me and I'm kind of shooting between them. And the, the strobe is just casting their shadows out onto Jonathan. It took me about five minutes to get the light in the, in the other band members positioned just so that the shadows fell around Jonathan and not over him. And once I got that, shot two frames, one looking at the camera, one looking off. And that was it. The band and their friends and family retreated to the back before I could even get a selfie with them. Since I didn't have an assistant there, I didn't have any behind the scenes shots or anything. And I just kind of sat there with the reality of what I had just accomplished. Right then the guy came back to get the gear and he was just like, how'd it go? And I was like, short answer, it went, it went great.
So as you guys know, I don't have sponsors on this show, whatever. I do this show just out of my passion for it. But I do want to take this opportunity to tell you about a new workshop series that I'm doing. Um, I announced a three-city workshop tour starting in January of 2020. Uh, it's a two-day workshop focusing on creative portraiture. So it's going to be a range of different experimental techniques, non-traditional techniques, I should say. It's not gonna be focused on any one thing. Some shots will be lit, some will be available light, some will be colorful, some will be more monochromatic, some will be more environmental, some will be more studio type, type environment. The format of the workshop is it's a two-day workshop. The classes run from nine to six with an hour break for lunch. Uh, day one starts with students presenting their work to their class. Then I introduce a technique. I show a number of ways to implement the technique, and I demonstrate by shooting tethered to a laptop. Students are then split into two groups of five. The classes are limited to 10 students, and each group is uh, working with a model. Day two begins with an overview of images that were created on the first day, accompanied with a friendly critique, before moving into new techniques. Each day ends with a tutorial on how to color grade the images in Lightroom. This is a hands-on workshop, meaning that each student will get 15 to 20 minutes to try out each of the techniques with the model. The students will be learning at least four techniques a day with a range of different models, meaning that they will walk away from the workshop with a ton of new and unique work. Your images are not going to look exactly like the other student next to you because they are going to be interpreting it a little bit differently. There's currently an early bird rate from now until the end of November with where you get $100 off the booking price. As I said, the classes are limited to 10 spots. So if you're interested in signing up, make sure to do it sooner than later. It'll be held in Columbus and New York and Los Angeles. The other thing I wanted to tell you about is that I'm now offering virtual coaching classes. These are becoming more and more popular. If, you, if you're unfamiliar, it's the idea of kind of getting a, a mentorship of sorts where you can consult directly with a professional in whatever trade you're, you're interested in. You know, what I've done with, with students in the past, you know, we, uh, it's sort of like Skype. You also can do screen sharing with the app that I use. So if you have a question about how to color grade a, a file in Lightroom, I can take over your desktop and, and color grade the image for you to show what I would do as I talk you through it. Um, or if you want to know, like, um, I'm new to photography or I, I, I've been doing weddings, but I want to move into more commercial work. Like, how do I how do I bid on a job or how do I build a creative team or how do I market my images? How did you build your website? Any kind of question that you have with YouTube and, and with uh, industry blogs out there, you can learn how to do any kind of technical thing you want. You know, you want to learn how to use Photoshop or do skin retouching, or you want to know what the new Sigma mirrorless is like. You can you can look up all of that stuff, but the, the thing you can't look up are the things you don't know to look up. You know, you don't know what you don't know. And so being able to talk to someone who's been doing this for 15 years and, and ask like, how did you do this? Or how would you approach this? Or I'm going through this, what do you advise? It can be really helpful. It can save you a lot of heartbreak, legal issues. It can shortcut a lot of your journey, things that took me years to figure out. I am now offering that. If you go to nickfancher.com, there is a shop tab. So in the drop down menu, there's information on the workshop. There's information on the virtual coaching. I also have my uh, video tutorials on there. My books are available to purchase through there. All that's laid out on the website. So check out what, what's on there. Feel free to drop me an email. Say what's up. If, you, if you're listening to the show and enjoying it, it'd be great to hear from you. And uh, now back to the show.
So I broke down the set, loaded up in the van, the guy took off. So I headed back and grabbed a bite to eat, came back later for the show. And the cool thing about the show, I was able to see everything come full circle. So I walk in for this private show and there's black cords all over everything. It's surrounding the room. It's over the merch table. And I text a few of the shots to my buddy Brandon, who had worked on the album. And he was like, hey, you know what? Those are the exact same chords that you shot in your studio. So then the show starts. And after about 30 seconds into a song, I see this like kind of shadowy figure creep out from the corner of the room. And I realize it's someone that's dressed up like the nothing man from the cover. He's wearing all black, there's cords hanging off of him, and then he, he hooks himself up to a harness which pulls him up in the air and he starts thrashing around in the air. And he's becoming the album cover, like live there, live on stage. And it was just so incredible to see like this thing that I, uh, I talked through with Brandon months ago, see this thing alive on stage. And so my journey with this band really came full circle. The timing of it was not lost on me. In the last eight months since I've been off of social media, I've had a lot of time to sort through my thoughts, sort through my past, and I realized that all, all these things started coming to the surface. I've learned that a lot of there's 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 been a lot of trauma in my life that I didn't know was trauma. For a long time, I would convince myself, like, no, I had a good I had a good childhood. This was normal. That was normal. Whatever. But now, as a father whose kids are getting older, I'm realizing, you know, by comparison, these kids didn't have to go through this, that, and the other. What I went through is not normal. You know, one of the things I've learned about myself recently is that, I don't know at what point, but years back, my performance and what I could do for others became directly connected and tied to my self-worth. I think, again, that has its roots in the trauma that I had gone through, but now I'm learning like that this is not this is not how it should be. That the, these need to my self worth needs to be disconnected from what I can create and what I can do for others, and um, and it's all kind of enmeshed because what I do for a living is also my passion, is also my talent. So, you know, for example, like if I go through a slow season, I can really quickly spiral where I get all these feelings of self-doubt, these these thoughts like, am I gonna make it through this slow time again? And I've been doing this long enough that I know I'm gonna make it through it. I always do. But that, that core fear, that core fear that like I don't matter um, if I'm not creating, if my work isn't being accepted by others, those thoughts I had to finally consciously realize these are not okay thoughts and these thoughts have their roots in something that that is bad and needs to needs healed so the other day it was a it was a day that you know there wasn't i didn't have anything to do that day i didn't have any shoots i didn't have anything to edit i didn't have any emails to respond to i just had a big chunk of time on my hands and i happened to check out the book bird by bird written by Anne lamott it was recommended to me when my, my wife read it a long time ago but sarah lando a uh, photographer I interviewed a few episodes ago, she had a quote from it in the course that I took of hers, the photography course, and she was just saying how much she recommends this book, even though the book is meant to be for writers. It's kind of an instruction manual of sorts for writers, but really it applies to all creatives because it has to do with where you get your self-worth from. It gets it goes into like, you know, your creative process and using parts from your story in, you know, 
how you make your craft and using all of it. Use the good, use the bad, use the painful. Use it in your work. Let it inform your your work. Embracing my story, all of my story, that's going to influence the way I make images. That's going to influence what I bring to the table creatively. The, th- the one thing that I've been trying to learn, I talked about this a bit in the last episode, episode with Magic, was how do I put my concept before the aesthetic? Like, how do I think of a, a thought and then let that thought determine what the image looks like rather than just like, I want to make a picture with gels or I want to make a picture with with like shooting through coconut oil or, or bouncing the reflection off a of mylar. Like, because historically I've created visually first and then maybe tried to sort out a concept later. I'm trying to flip that up now. I'm trying to put a lot of thought into it ahead of time and really conceptualize a shoot and then let that dictate what it looks like. It's it's a scary thing to change up. It's a it's scary to move out of a space of confidence. You know, I can confidently create pretty images. So to move out of that space, it puts me in a vulnerable a vulnerable position. It, it, I'm in a position now where I might make an image that I think is garbage. I might just waste my time. I might waste the model's time, but that's okay because my worth is not tied to that. My worth is not tied to what I create. And by working on a muscle that isn't as strong, I'm strong in these one in these certain areas. If I work on the muscles that aren't as strong, that's going to improve my overall strength. So I came across this quote in Bird by Bird. I'm going to read it now. Perfectionism is the voice of the oppressor, the enemy of the people. It will keep you cramped and insane your whole life. And it is the main obstacle between you and a shitty first draft, or I would say shitty photo. I think perfectionism is based on the obsessive belief that if you run carefully enough, hitting every stepping stone just right, you won't have to die. The truth is that you will die anyway, and that a lot of people who aren't even looking at their feet are going to do a whole lot better than you and have a lot more fun while they're doing it. So I have to give myself permission to recklessly create, to just create even though I don't know how it's going to come out. The other thing that I've learned through going through more than a few slow seasons is that any action that I make when I'm frantic is not a worthwhile action. You know, I'll try to like send off a bunch of promo mailers or I'll try to email a bunch of photo editors or come up with some new shoot idea or whatever. And I'm like, well, maybe this will maybe this will bring in the work or maybe this will forge a new connection that that, that makes ends meet, or maybe this will save me. And the one thing that I'm learning is to just chill out, to accept the slowness, to sit in the discomfort and wait it out. Like what, what could come if I just sit there and let it be slow? And so instead I've been, um, this year I've been doing a lot more physical activity, uh, specifically cycling and climbing. And so, you know, if I don't, if I have a large, like wide open day, large, large amount of time, I'll get on my bike and I'll bike 60 or 70 or 80 or 100 miles and clear my head. And it puts my mind at rest because after a while, my brain can't really keep up with the physical exertion and my brain just chills out and my spirits are lifted. And uh, often I'll have thoughts, I'll have creative thoughts, I'll have self-realizations as I'm doing the ride. And I'll just I'll, I'll pull over and I'll write down the note. I'll write down a quick idea and then I'll hop back on and ride some more. And so that has been informing my creative process as much as looking at other photographers' work or reading books about photography or whatever, just allowing my mind to have some space. Ideas start to bubble up to the surface. The other thing that I've learned this year is that 
I knew this, but I, I learned it on more of a foundational level, is that everyone's journey is different. Just because someone else got a Pulitzer at age 30 or just because someone else is already shooting these major campaigns at age 18 or whatever, 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 it doesn't mean that I failed. It doesn't mean that there won't be opportunities for me. That's a false equivalence. I saw this meme that said two is a number, one is a number, so two equals one. And that's kind of that same mindset. They're a photographer and and they're successful, so that's what success looks like. So I'm just learning to pay attention to what are my successes, what what's my path been like, and and I, what I started doing was I keep a timeline of achievements in my notes on my phone, and so it's just like month by month, year by year, and I'll just say like the cool breakout things that happen, like I got this gig or this this photo editor uh, said they liked my work, or. You know, I was able to quit my job at a, at a coffee shop on this day. And I went back through my calendar 15 years and and wrote down all these different things that happened and kind of compiled just this like bullet point list. So when I'm really feeling low, when I'm really feeling like, man, work is never going to come in, I'm never going to make it. I look through that list and it's and it sobers me up. It centers my thoughts. I'm like, this is like been one of my best years creatively or from a business perspective. So I need to keep perspective based on myself and not others. This reminds me of another quote that I read in Bird by Bird. It says, you can't get to any of these truths by sitting in a field smiling beautifully, avoiding your anger and damage and grief. Your anger and damage and grief are the only way to the truth. We don't have much truth to express unless we have gone into these rooms and closets and woods and abysses that we were told not to go into. When we have gone in and looked around for a long while, just breathing in and finally taking it in, then we will be able to speak in our own voice and to stay in the present moment. And that moment is home. If I can take my own story, the whole story, with the abuses, the mistakes, the victories, and the failures, how might it inform or influence my art? Might self-discovery and self-acceptance be just as powerful a photographic tool than my art history background or lighting knowledge? By taking inventory of every ingredient in my proverbial cupboard, I'm now able to cook more complex dishes than I was when I was only using the same few safe ingredients. While the ingredients I'm cooking with are nothing new or unique, I just may find that I can come up with a unique recipe. So I added the Viewfinders podcast to Stitcher and and Google and Spotify. Wherever you listen to podcasts, you can find this podcast. I'd appreciate it if you rated me on whatever platform you listen to this on so that it can make more people aware of it, share it with your friends, whatever. Send in any ideas or questions you have for me, and I'm happy to address those. I appreciate you guys listening. Hope you have a great week. Mm